Hello, Duval Nation. Derek here. Now listen up. The following episode deals with mental health issues and things like PTSD and suicide will be discussed. If these subjects are too upsetting or possibly triggering for you, I, Derek Duval, grant you, the listener, a reprieve today, and I invite you to explore the back catalog this week, which can be found on DerekDuvallShow.com or on any of our streaming platforms. Now, on with the show. Warning, the Federal Communications Commission requires that we inform you that this episode of the Derek Duval Show may contain content inappropriate for children. Listener discretion is advised. The FCC also requires us to inform you that this episode may contain the words f***, s***, asshole, mother boy, dumpster, galloping wit, but in like a British way, and also, strangely, cul-de-sac. Once again, this show may contain content not suitable for anyone but the coolest children. Listener discretion is advised. Powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to friends, foes, and neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, because what you're about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show! Prepare yourself for pop culture, commentary, and interviews featuring no drama and no controversy, guaranteed. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Productions Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello. Hi, everybody. Welcome. Thank you. Wow. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Please, everyone, please sit. Thank you. Hello, Duvall Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. Before we get into the episode, I want to say thanks again to my last guest, Benny Latham. What an absolute delight to have her on the show, and I had no doubt in my mind that her episode would be so popular. Again, if you hadn't had the chance to check out her episode, be sure to do it as soon as you have done with this episode. Been getting so much positive feedback since we integrated the Rode Procaster. It was very humbling to hear feedback from my podcasting tribe and to hear your tips to getting the absolute best out of this potential melee weapon. Folks, I am not screwing around. This thing is built like a tank. I think I saw a YouTuber say in the review of this microphone, you could actually beat someone to death with this thing. I strongly advise against that as we are a violence-free family. But yeah, guys, it's a beast. All right. Anyway, welcome to episode 91. We have a very interesting episode for you today. We have on the show former firefighter turned author and professional speaker, David Hollenbach. He will be discussing his battles with mental health, including such sensitive topics like PTSD and suicide, and how he turned that around for himself. Plus, we'll be discussing his new book, releasing on October 11th, 2022, Fireproof, Your Grand Strategy for Transforming Failure into Fuel for Your Future. All right, let's just go ahead and get him on out here. Duval Nation, please welcome to the show, all the way from Florida, former firefighter turned author, David Hollenbach. Hello, David. Welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. How is the weather? How about you today? Weather here is beautiful, actually. Uh, a lot better than uh, than last week. Just uh, rode out Hurricane Ian. It was it was only a Category One by the time it reached my house, but uh, some pretty good wind and a lot of rain. 
Yeah. So I start my interviews off with the same question. How has it been for you to navigate the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, it actually, I, I feel like it was a little rougher on my daughter having to stay home from school. Uh, I, I work a lot from home, so it was kind of business as usual. But I did get to spend a lot more time with my daughter and uh, really honed my cooking skills. Yeah, became a, a pretty talented mixologist as well. So <laughs> <laughs> Nice. So every journey has a beginning. Where were you born? What was it like growing up there? I was born in the Navy hospital in Orlando, Florida. Uh, my dad met my mom in the Navy exchange. I think she was a cashier or something, and he was a sailor. They ended up getting married, having me, and I was I was born in the Navy hospital. After my dad got out of the Navy, we moved to Columbus for a short period of time and then moved back. My dad ended up getting a job with the fire department and with uh, one of the hospitals. Uh, so he was working two jobs. And uh, later, my mom became a nurse. Uh, my mom and dad got divorced when I was like five. And I, I ended up, uh, you know, my mom got custody of me and my younger brother. And so we lived, we lived there in my mom's house until I was, uh, well, I think I moved in with my dad when I was 12 lived there for a little while and then moved back in with my mom. It was like back and forth until I ended up joining the Navy after I, I did a little bit of time in college. I had to wait to to have another accident to, to be able to get into the Navy. Uh, when I was in high school, I broke my leg pretty bad and had some screws. So none of the branches would take me. And so I had to sign a medical waiver uh, to to get into the service. And then um, while I was in, uh, I was in A school, I, uh, up in Great Lakes, broke my leg again and uh, ultimately was medically discharged. So I spent a whole 14 months. It wasn't the travel the world type of experience that I really wanted. It did give me a lot of discipline, some really good study habits. Uh, I graduated, you know, second in my class, a gas turbine mechanic school and when I went back to school, eventually went to the fire academy and all that. I, I, I did really well. Uh, you know, you you say you went to boot camp. What was your actual job you wanted to do when you were in? What I actually wanted to do was just get out of Orlando. So I would have taken anything. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I what I signed up for was to become a gas turbine mechanic. So that was already in my contract. I did. Uh, do the, you know, the physical, physical ability test that they do for the SEALs, you know? Yeah. Um, and the first go through, I got yanked out of the pool um, by one of the, the Navy SEAL guys, like yanked me out and started yelling at me and sent me back. Uh, <laughs> and, and then, uh, and then later realizing that I needed to come prepared I went through it again, passed, like with flying colors, only to find out that I needed a seal source rating to actually go. <laughs> right. So, so by that was pretty, you know, that took the wind out of my sails, and I was like, well, that's bullshit. And uh, <laughs> and so I, I just, uh, you know, I went through boot camp. I was the recruit chief petty officer. 
ended up doing really well in the Navy. I mean, I, I had planned on making a career out of it and then got discharged. Yeah. Uh, so that's when I went ahead and went to the fire academy, went to EMT school, became a firefighter, and ultimately spent 23 years in the fire service. So you mentioned that you went to the fire academy. What did what about firefighting attract you the most? Well, I had I had grown up in the fire department. I mean, I was probably three or four years old the first time I sat on a fire truck. You know, my dad was a firefighter my entire life, really. Uh, with the exception of when he was in the Navy. And I was too young to remember him being in the Navy. So all of my memories around my dad were being at the firehouse or seeing him on the fire truck. Or I, I initially resisted that really strong uh, push to, to go. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't from anybody but me. Uh, It was an internal push to go into the fire service. And um, once I made the decision, I was all in. And it was just like, it was like I was in in my element. I I loved it. It was one of the, the best things that I've ever done. That's awesome. So you have a master's degree in public administration. How long did it take you to get it? (laughs) <laughs> well, I I actually got my associate's degree shortly after I got out of the Navy. It was bef- I got that before I ever went into the fire academy. And I figured that that would carry me through, you know. And then I was a lieutenant. I, I want to say it was probably around 2009 that uh, there was a rule that they came out with that I couldn't promote any higher if I didn't have a bachelor's degree. I hadn't planned on promoting any higher, but I didn't like the fact that they could tell me that I don't qualify because of a piece of paper. So I I went back to school, got my bachelor's degree, and one of my professors uh, told me that I would be really foolish if I didn't continue and get my master's since I was already in the groove and uh, I was doing really well. Uh, it it uh, seemed to be pretty easy for me. So I just kept on going. Uh, total of three years, I had my bachelor's and my master's degree. But, you know, this was when I was, I had already turned 40. So it was pretty late in life that I went back to school. And, uh, you know, so, yeah. Age is but a number, right? Yeah. Well, so the answer is it it took me, what, 20 something years? (laughs) (laughs) So you did 23 years as a firefighter. Do you have any inspiring stories that you'd like to share? Well, so I I loved the fire service, but one thing that Uh, I think is becoming more clear these days is just how um, prevalent uh, PTSD is within the fire service and public safety. The things that we see on a, on a daily basis or, you know, shift work, every time you're on shift, you see some horrible stuff, Um, at least in uh, the, the stations that I worked out of, they were really, really busy. You know, I know that there's certain parts of the country that 
aren't that busy. And so it might be a week or a month that you don't really see anything all that bad. But when you do, it'll rock your world and that stuff will stay with you. And it doesn't matter that it's, you know, occasionally or, you know, all the time. It, it doesn't matter. The experience stays with you and it can affect you in a really negative way if you don't do something uh, to help yourself out. So um, I would say the inspiring thing would be uh, since I've left, I've been able to help quite a few people uh, just because I knew the stuff that I went through when I left the fire service. Uh, I almost became a statistic myself. Um, you know, PTSD is, is real and it, it destroys lives. It destroys marriages. Uh, it destroys careers. Well said. So I told some of my listeners you were coming on the show, and a few of my female listeners would love to ask you. Actually, several of them wrote the same thing, actually. Uh, they'd like to ask you about your article, Women in the Fire Service, a Diverse Culture Leads to a Successful Culture. What led to writing the article, and what was the response like? All right. Well, I was like any other knuckle-dragging, uh, misogynistic knucklehead coming into the fire service you know it, it was very common for men to talk about um you know the damage that women were doing to the fire service and uh and i said a lot of ignorant things and one of my best friends was uh, a woman who same size as me like six foot tall you know just was made for the job and was amazing at the job. I looked up to her. She was just incredible. Uh, had had um, she had been working on the job for probably 10, 12 years by the time I got hired, and she kind of took me under her wing. And and uh, in my mind, she was the exception. Um, and I, like a, a dumbass, I said stuff around her that was pretty ignorant. And one day she pulled me aside and she was like, you know, do you have any idea how fucking ignorant you sound? And I was like, uh, I, I thought you agreed with me, you know, like it doesn't apply to you. And she was like, a person's gender does not determine their ability to do a job. You fucking knucklehead. And I'm like, uh, Oh, Okay. And then I started paying attention and started educating myself, started realizing that the shit that women had to deal with was not fair. Um, you know, it could be a guy and a, a girl doing the same job, have the same time on, they make the same mistake. The guy that makes the mistake He's looked at, okay, well, maybe he doesn't have enough training. Let's let's work with him on that. The woman makes that same mistake, and it's like, oh, there you go. That's why women don't belong in the fire service, you know? And, and seeing that and seeing how so many times even citizens defer to the men rather than the women that are on scene. Um, 
I started really learning about leadership. I, I developed a leadership program for my department, uh, which is one of the largest departments in the state of Florida. It, I thought that my department was pretty progressive. Come to find out, it, it really wasn't all that progressive. A lot of things have changed in the fire service. They're doing a lot more hiring of women, but the culture hasn't changed so much. They're hiring a lot more women, but the retention is not there. And there is, there is a lot of toxic environments throughout the fire service. The, the leadership is lacking in a lot of areas. And when I was working on my master's degree, when I was working on my bachelor's degree, and I was really digging into leadership and what it meant to be a good leader, I, I was reading a, a book by Ron Goldman. Uh, he is like the godfather of emotional intelligence. A lot of research behind emotional intelligence and why it is so important to have a high level of EQ if you're in a leadership position, the higher your EQ, the more you're going to be viewed as a good leader. Now, there's a couple of different areas of emotional intelligence, a lot of different traits that go along with it, or areas that are viewed as important to measure when you're measuring somebody's emotional intelligence. And I had already been working at teaching firefighters and, and leaders in the fire service these particular skills, communication skills, self-awareness, being more empathetic, being better at creating good relationships and maintaining those relationships. All those areas or are the and this is in this is based in research, and this is what led to me writing the article, is that those areas that I was working so hard at developing in the, the fire service leaders are the areas that women are very strong in. They, they tend to score much higher than men in. And their contribution to the fire service is not valued to the same degree that, you know, what men do. So when they come into the fire service, they just want to fit in and they're told that if you want to fit in, you got to be more manly. You got to be more aggressive. You got to, you know, you got to be tougher. Uh, you don't want to talk about your feelings too much, you know, and that's ridiculous. You know, I feel like when you come into any organization and there's, there's so much talk around being authentic being your, your authentic self, but what women bring to the table with leadership is that that layer of emotional intelligence that men struggle with, by and large. Maybe not struggle horribly with it, but they tend to shy away from it, the, the touchy-feely stuff. But those are all the areas that make good relationships, that really uh, shore up high-performing teams. You know, the leader of these high performing teams when they're creating these relationships within the team, you know, they gotta be empathetic. They gotta understand where their team, where they're at. Um, they have to communicate really well to develop trust. And a lot of communication, you know, the key part is listening. 
listen a lot more than than you talk. And um, I, I I think that when I wrote the article, I wanted to shine a light on that and shine a light on all the different reasons that the culture and the fire service needed to change. It was not, it, it did not get me a lot of fans. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of people, a lot of men that I respected pull me to the side and tell me how much of an idiot I was. What was I trying to do? You know, and, and that lot, I, you know, I lost respect for those guys because I, I thought that they would see the value in what I wrote and get behind it. And they didn't, which is unfortunate. And, you know, it's like preaching to the choir when I talk to women about this, you know, they, they live it day in and day out. It's the men that I try and speak to and say, listen, you know, if, if you want to become a better leader, you've got to develop these skills. And one of the hardest things for men to do, especially men that are married is to mentor women because they think, oh, you know, they're going to, everybody's going to think I'm trying to get laid or something. Uh, Or these women are going to think that I'm trying to hook up with them. That's why it's so important to create boundaries and maintain those boundaries. If you're going to be a good leader and mentor, not just women, but men as well, you have to have good, solid boundaries and maintain them and work with these people and develop them because the value that they're going to bring to the team is huge and it's going to pay dividends, not just to the team, but to you as well to learn those skills. Okay. Deval nation. We're going to go ahead and take a small break, but we will be right back with the conclusion of our interview with David Hollenbach. May I suggest you take this time to refresh that drink and take some super long, nice, deep breaths, you know, Cluzo style. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Give two friends of the show your attention, and we will be right back. This is B-Word, one half of the host of the Bleach Brothers podcast. My buddy Jake the Hater, Jake the Tailgater, joins me every single week on Sundays to cover things like dadisms, food and beverage, and all things entertainment. And just like Sunday church, when you get out, you can come and enjoy all the dirty talk and get sanitized. Boy, what a great campsite. Yeah, here's more wood for the fire. No, my clothes are on fire. Run for the stream. Don't run. Here, let me wrap this around you. You okay? Lucky thing you were around, spirit. Lucky thing you didn't run. Remember, running only makes the fire worse. If your clothes catch fire, wrap yourself in a rug or blanket. And roll on the ground to smother the flames. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! Hey there, this is Frankie Sparks. And this is Scott Eisenberg. We're married. And we have a podcast called Shoot the Flick. Every week, Scott and I introduce each other to a new movie the other one has never seen. We talk about it, give our thoughts on it, and also share some behind-the-scenes fun facts. We want you guys to come along and enjoy the movies with us. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter at ShootTheFlick and check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. Come and listen to us now as Frankie and I Shoot Shoot the the Flick! Welcome back to episode 91 of the Derek DeVall Show. 
Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with former firefighter turned author of the book, Fireproof, Your Grand Strategy for Transforming Failure to Fuel for Your Future, coming out October 11th, 2022, David Hollenbach. All right, let's talk about your new book coming out October 11th, 2022, Fireproof, Your Grand Strategy for Transforming Failure into Fuel for Your Future. David, what led to putting pen to paper for this book? The initial start came shortly after the death of my brother in 2010. It was a pretty dark time for me, and I struggled a lot. And for 10 years, I, I worked on a leadership book. And when my career fell off the rails, you know, I was struggling with PTSD pretty bad. I was denying that I was struggling. I was drinking a lot and doing a lot of stuff in my personal life that um, ultimately led to me losing my career. And it was very humbling. You know, that's really where I I almost became a, a statistic. I, I almost ended things and and thankfully I didn't. Thankfully, I ended up getting the help that I needed and I realized that all those years of me teaching leadership and, and teaching the importance of self-leadership, part of that is recognizing when you're struggling and addressing that. Don't try and hide it. Um, you have to help yourself before you can ever help anybody else. And I, I look at the example that I set for so many people by being so stoic in the face of some horrific traumas. And had I just been a good example and said, hey, you know, I'm struggling. If you guys need to get some help, if you're struggling with this, there's no shame in that game. You know, you, we've got to take care of ourselves. We've got to take care of our mental health. And, and so when I went back to writing, and another thing is that I felt like I had lost my identity when I lost my career. Um, I, I wanted to, to find, figure out who I was. And so I did a lot of soul searching and really found out who I was and, and figured out that what we do for a living, what we, what we do for an occupation is not our identity. It can be an expression of who we are but it's not who we are. And so I wrote about that. I wrote about, well, uh, uh, I developed a strategy to help me get my life back on track, set some goals and start achieving things. And, and I, I felt like it would be very worthwhile to share that with the world and hopefully maybe keep some people from eating a bullet. I've read a lot of leadership books and most of them don't really address the mistakes and the growth opportunities. And I've got so many of those. And I really wanted to share my mistakes and those lessons that I learned through really like some big, big fuck ups. That was just like, I wanted to, share my authentic self and, and share that pain and, and let people know that 
whatever they're going through, they're not alone. Which, which actually brings me to the point is like, what for you was the hardest part of the book to write? Well, I, I talk about the death of my brother, the ending of my career, uh, the embarrassment that I caused myself and my family, really having to come clean to my daughter, what, you know, was going on. Cause I, you know, I was on the news. I was a pretty well-respected chief officer uh, in a very large department. I'd been on the news a lot for a lot of the really cool stuff that I'd done. And they had plenty of stock footage of me. And then when I screwed up, I'm all over the news and it was horrible. It was very humbling. And, and sharing that and really putting that back in the spotlight so that anybody can go and Google me and and really dig up all that shit. You know, I mean, of course, it's just one side. There's some other stuff to it. But yeah. ultimately, I set the stage for my ruin. And it's not impossible to come back and, and be better for some of the mistakes that we make, you know? It, it's not over uh, until we give up or, you know, take that last breath. So this this question might be a moot point, but I have a question is from those who had, may have read the book already, what has been the response from them? What's really, really cool, I, it it got submitted for a uh, an international literary award, the, the Page Turner Awards. I was a finalist. I didn't win, but uh, my first book got, you know, I made it all the way to the final. So it was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody that's read it has just said nothing but good stuff. Some people were like, holy shit, like had no idea, man. Uh, you know, there's been people that have shared the book online on their social media to talk about how it has helped them and how inspiring it was. So, it, you know, I think it's going to do well. Um, it's hard to tell right now because the official release isn't until October 11th, but right. there have been a lot of advanced copies that, you know, I've, I've shared the book at different events where I've, I've spoken uh, to pretty big groups and it's pretty cool. It's, it's been a really good response, very positive And I, uh, again, humbling, but in a good way. Yeah. So you are a motivational speaker and coach. What sort of ideas do you promote in your sessions? Well, I like to first get a sense of who the person is. When when I'm talking to a group, I I already know that everybody struggles with something. One of the big things that I talk about though, well, leading in high stress environments, the importance of Men advocating for women in male-dominated organizations, which is most organizations, um, and and really the importance of giving ourselves some grace when we fall on our face and make mistakes. If we have the intestinal fortitude to get up, dust ourselves off, and push on, learning from that experience so that maybe we can be there for other people in the future— you know, that's what we have to don't focus so much on the mistake, but focus on what we've been able to learn from it and how we're going to be able to help others moving forward. 
But I, I talk about uh, a concept. I talk about it in the book as well. Um, the idea of selfish altruism. So the idea of selfish altruism, you know, most people know what altruism, you know, that selfless act. A lot of people use the example of Mother Teresa or something like that, the Buddha, Gandhi. Um, so selfish altruism, when you're talking about team dynamics and, and leadership, you work really, really hard at, at adding value to yourself so that you're better able to add value to the team. And by adding value to the team, you're, you're making the team better, but you're setting the example. And hopefully the example follows through and the people on the team say, oh, well, I should really add a lot more value to myself. So I'm more of an asset to the team and I'll add that to the team, help the team develop even more. And it becomes uh, this incredible machine, uh, just the accomplishments that can um, can be had by developing and fostering that mindset is huge. And, and so it's, I, I believe that we are all here uh, to, to make our world better. What drives us is that we're all searching for happiness. We're all trying to be happier than we are right now um, to feel more fulfilled. And, I think there's no purer form of happiness and fulfillment than that that sense of like, man, that I just helped this person achieve that. I did it for them, you know, a selfless act. Seeing somebody grow and achieve something greater than they thought possible. And really that sense of fulfillment, I think, is what really uh, that's what does it for me, and I think it does does it for a lot of people. And you know, history's greatest thinkers have have talked about how important it is to always bring value to the group, to add value. And I think it's hardwired in us as well. You know, back in the caveman days, you know, the people that contribute to the group, to the community, are are valued. And we all want to be valued, you know? So as we begin to wind down this interview, I always like to ask one fun question. So I, this has been a very, very intense one. So we're going to want to ask a fun one, okay? All right. What sort of shows or music are you into right now? Oh, man. <laughs> so I just watched the uh, Beastie Boys uh, nice. documentary. And, you know, I grew up with the Beastie Boys and man, what a great documentary that they did. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I downloaded like all their music and I was listening to that today. The show that I'm really into is uh, Ted Lasso. I knew you were going to say that. I, I, as soon as you said, I knew you were going to say that, Ted Lasso. Man, that show is so freaking funny, man. <laughs> Uh, you know, and it, it like on face value, like to look at it and read what it is. I just, I was kind of like, eh, that's yeah. not really my bag. But I watched the first episode and was like, holy shit. And I've, I've like binge watched that. Uh, I'm in the second season now, almost done with it. Like the reason I watched the show is because how funny Ted Lasso is and how right. lighthearted and it just brings uh, a really cool dynamic to the show. So that's awesome. Yeah, man. All right. As we begin to wind in this interview, what would be the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online? 
Yeah, go to my website, hollenbachleadership.com. Everything is there. You can check out my podcast for members to excellence there. You can check out my bookstore. I have resources. If you if you or anybody you know is struggling with PTSD, I have a whole page dedicated to resources around that. I mean, anywhere from you know, ketamine therapy to EMDR, hypnotherapy. I mean, and I've interviewed a bunch of mental health professionals. There's there's just a lot of resources available that people don't know about. And so I have a whole page dedicated to that. Uh, all of my social media links are on my website as well. So Hollenbach, H-O-L-L-E-N, B as in boy, A-C-H, leadership.com. All right. I end my interviews with my favorite question. The question is this. If the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you want to say to the people of Earth? Oh, man. I, I really think that it's all about love, man. The more love that we can bring into the world, uh, the better off the world is going to be and the better off that we'll be. All right. The book is Fireproof, Your Grand Strategy for Transforming Failure into Fuel for Your Future, coming October 11th to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. David, congratulations on the book, and best of luck to you in your future endeavors. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me on. And just like that, Duval Nation, we come to the end of episode 91. I want to thank David for coming on the show and sharing such a raw and moving story. With exception, everyone should have a chance at redemption, and I believe David is no exception. I hope his book is a bestseller, and I wish him all the best for the future. Okay, a few housekeeping items before we close out this episode. As you just heard, this was episode 91, and even someone with a basic comprehension of math can tell we are creeping to the absolutely mind-blowing centennial episode. I have a super secret guest and this one was my first home run A-lister. And <laughs> believe me, I jumped through a lot of hoops to make that happen. I cannot wait for you to hear it. And then if we keep the release schedule as is, we are looking at the 100th episode airing at the beginning of the second week of November. So mark your calendars. Mrs. Duval and I have another Derek and Mindy's Fun with Movies dropping this week. We take a look at the Predator prequel, Prey. Well, that's a mouthful. Be sure to keep an eye out for that release. Have you had a chance to check out our store on TeePublic? We have everything from magnets, stickers, and mugs. Plus, we have a carefully curated collection of t-shirts put together by myself and Mrs. Duvall. Be sure to go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com. Look on the banner on the left that says Merch. Click that, and you'll be taken to our store on TeePublic. And of course, like I always say, I want to thank TeePublic for being such great partners with us. On behalf of the entire team here at the Derek Duvall Show, I want to remind you that it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Uh, we lost a very close friend four years ago to breast cancer, and I have another close friend who has also been afflicted. Working out with your insurance company, I urge all women to make an appointment to get a mammogram, especially if you have family history. An early catch can mean the difference between life and death. Nostar, God bless, and see you next time. Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duval Show. And we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, to explore past episodes and find links to purchase merchandise. Please subscribe to our social media channels on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, 
at Derek Duvall Show.